You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, publisher of Beaver Blitz. Joined with me is beat writer, kind of pseudo-celebrity extraordinaire, Jake Hedberg, um, who's down in Corvallis. Jake, how are you this weekend or this week? You know, I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, Parents Weekend was fun. It was a great Saturday night, uh, great win. Um, and now a bye week, time for the guys to rest and getting ready for a tough test in two weeks down in Tucson. Yeah. So talk about what was the atmosphere? You know, I finished up the videos and hit the road for home, but you hit back uh, to the house, big party, or what was the atmosphere in Corvallis like um, just in general on Saturday night? Yeah. I mean, everyone was a little burnt out from uh, a whole day of parents um, being in town, but. uh, Oh, come on. Parents aren't that tiring. (laughs) Uh, But you know, there was definitely, a, you know, a buzz around a team that's now six and one for the first time in 10 years. Um, the fastest in, in program history, Oregon State's been eligible to go to a bowl game. And I think that speaks to the job that Jonathan Smith has done as a as a coach. Yeah, um, huge win on Saturday. And we're going to we're going to talk about that win against UCLA. We're also going to talk some Pac-12 because there were some big games this past weekend um, with yeah. Pac-12 ramifications. And then we are in week right now so what that means is no media availability for jake um to hit this week the and we'll talk a little bit about what bye week is in corvallis what they're working on and also i want to talk to jake and get a mid-season report we're going to kind of see where the beefs are it's a little past the halfway point but um we're going to go break down position by position grades um and kind of see where you're at also then i also want to pick your brain jake a little bit um after we do mail or before a mailbag feature I want to just pick your brain on the Pac-12 as a whole and maybe your power rankings and look at the Beavers' remaining schedule to kind of see what you see playing out. But let's talk UCLA. Homecoming and parents slash dad's weekend. Huge weekend. The atmosphere was I, – I, I thought the atmosphere was kind of quiet the first half, but it really, really picked up there in the second half. Big win against a, a ranked opponent. What were your overall thoughts of the game uh, against UCLA? Yeah, well, first of all, I thought in the second half, Reacher Stadium was rocking. You know, that was one of the loudest I've ever heard it, you know, being down on the field uh, for those last two um, drives and just how loud it was. It was it was, it was was pretty cool to see. Um, I thought Oregon State, again, their downfield passing game has been the best we've seen in, in really in years. You know, what DJ Uyunglele brings to the table and able to push the ball downfield to, to Silas Bolton, Anthony Gould, Jack Felling it adds a whole nother element to this offense and it makes it really much more fun to watch. Um, and then again, defensively playing in front of a home crowd, Oregon state is able to rattle teams, you know, Dante Moore straight out of the gate was uncomfortable three interceptions in the first half. And I think a large part of that is playing in such a hostile environment. Yeah. And, you know, honestly looking around the pack 12 and we talked a little bit about this last week, besides, I mean, maybe Utah could be mm-hmm. a, as, as, you know, kind of crazy, but there's not Washington, Oregon are going to be right up there, but uh, Corvallis is kind of 
etching itself here is one of the toughest places yeah. to play. So, you know, UCLA, I, I think that's overlooked a little, not overlooked, but that is, you know, looking at the comments after the game, Oregon State beat them 36-24. Um, this was a team that was top 10 in scoring defense, giving it up an average of 12 points a game. Oregon State scored, what, 29? If you take, yeah. Yeah. So um, take away the take away the um, pick six. Oregon, what did you think went well, aside from DJ and the downfield pass? You know, I thought the offensive line really did a good job. Um, this is was maybe their toughest test. I feel like UCLA and Utah, their defenses are pretty similar with such a strong front seven. But again, I thought Oregon State was able to run the ball pretty well. You know, averaged, I want to say, uh, just under six yards of carry. Um, and keeping keeping the pocket clean was a big, a big part. You know, DJ was comfortable. He wasn't really pressured a whole lot. I thought Tali Fuaga, especially going up against, um, uh, Latu. 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 I thought he did. I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, really the line as a whole too, especially playing without your starting center is always a difficult task. Uh, Tanner Miller has proven he's a very capable center, but it, it, I mean, it is a change. And I thought for, for them to respond without a team captain and a leader of the offensive line and really just dominate the Bruin front seven was really promising. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think it's surprising, I, especially, you know, opening up the running game, but also I think protecting DJ as well as they did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There was what, there was what, two sacks, I want to say. Yeah. I think that's, he was pressured a few more times, but mm -hmm. um, no, it was, it was a great, great showing. And, how and even then, oh, go, even ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say, and how about Jack Belling? I mean, yeah, um, talk about a guy that's emerged yeah. and we kind of kept calling for it. We kept you and I mm -hmm. kept talking about wanting to see more tight end, um, tight, tight end calls just because he gives the bees that height jump balls. But, um, like you said, the, the passing game in general is just really coming along. Is it, is it where you thought it would be midpoint of the season? Yeah, I mean, I honestly really didn't know what to expect. Um, even having watched fall camp and spring camp, there was there were still questions whether with both DJ and the receiving core. And I feel like at this point, it's above what I thought. I think that, yeah, they're still waiting on a third receiver to step up. But with Gould, Bolden, and Vifelling, they have a really solid trio there. And um, it, it's been it's been great to see that the downfield element, especially because in years past. You know, with with Jebbia, Nolan, Goldbranson, you haven't had that. Um, and I, I think without DJ, this team's maybe four and three right now. So having that that uh, element to the offense, the playbook, just it makes this team that much better. Yeah, I mean that's and that's something we harped on a lot last year or the end of last season. And, and nothing against Ben Goldbranson, he did a, a great job leading them where they were, but there was a, a big piece of the offense missing. And um, we kept saying, if Oregon State had a quarterback with a downfield you know, threat, uh, what I noticed about DJ lately, and he just looks so comfortable, yeah. is the fact that we're not seeing, I mean, when was the last time we saw a quarterback that didn't dance around in the pocket and, and have happy feet? It's been a while. Maybe Jake Luton's senior year. That's yeah, probably in 2019. That's probably the um, the last that comes to mind. So it, it, it's interesting to watch. And if you haven't watched 
the post-game press conferences from Saturday, watch those. I, I think, you know, Jake and I get to talk to these young men all the time, um, but it, it's great for the fans to see kind of the type of people they are. I think DJ is fun to watch just because he's, he's genuine, but you also glean little bits of football knowledge from him. He was also just last week and I posted it in, in on Beaver Blitz. He was on the QB podcast with Kyle Allen and uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Palmer, Jordan Palmer. Yeah. not Jordan Poyer, Jordan Palmer, um, where they, it was an hour long of listening to DJ, the quarterbacks talking to him about, mm. you know, his transition to Oregon state and what he's learned and, and to hear him articulate the fact that he's played RPO offenses since he was in seventh grade and then having to come in and learn a, an entirely different system. Intriguing to listen to. So find that on Beaver Blitz. If you haven't listened to it, it's, it's well worth <coughs> your time. Um, okay. So what didn't go so well this, this past week against UCLA? Yeah, I mean, this is the second straight second straight week that defensively Oregon State has been gashed in the run game. You know, they have had troubles start being the run last week against Cal with, with Jay Na and Isaiah uh, Isaiah Afonso, and then this week again. UCLA, they they were able to run the ball. I, I think Carson Steele ran for over 100 yards, um, mm-hmm. and he's the first player all year to hit that number against Oregon State. Uh, Colin Skeely, the backup quarterback could really he had six carries for almost 80 yards and then their other backs jones and tj harden they were they were really just running the ball strong uh you know last year there were or excuse me not last year last week there were comments that oh it may have been because of rawls out the first half or calvin hart but this is the second week in a row and oregon state had their whole starting front seven active outside of Corey stover but stover's at the same time as more of a pass rusher edge guy instead of a a run stopper. Um, and this is something that I think needs to be addressed because Oregon State plays some good running backs starting uh, two weeks ago against Arizona with Jonah Coleman. Yeah, some in the comments here, um, UCLA did. They game planned really yeah. well for Oregon State. Is um, That UCLA ran the T formation, which is not a look that Oregon State has seen or probably prepared for that much. Yeah. Um, Missed tackles is, in my opinion, is something yeah, that is tackling was it, another one. It's another one. So nineteen missed tackles against Cal, seventeen against UCLA. What what do you do as a coach or as a player just to clean that up? You know, the biggest thing would just be really just repetition. Um, I know nowadays players don't really tackle a whole lot in practice, um, but I bet you that with the next two weeks, there's no game this Saturday. I bet you there's going to be a lot of repetition. Uh, they'll probably go f- not full speed, but they'll probably thud, wrap up one of these practices or maybe two or three. And I think it'll be good f- just just, just kind of get back in that groove of wrapping up all the way, taking them down, all that. Yeah, so that that was actually something Coach Smith addressed too in the in the post-conference or post-press conference, post-game, um, when somebody asked about the run defense kind of struggling. He said that is something definitely they want to look at and address this week. Um, bye week. So bye week is a, is an important time. A, the players get a lighter load. Um, they still practice, they still have film, but it's lighter this week. And the coaches spend a lot of their time looking at the trends from the film of the first, you know, seven games, looking at what needs worked on and then looking, not only looking ahead at their, their next opponents, but looking at what they need to do to improve their game. So gives a good, good time there for kind of for everybody to take a break, deep breath, reevaluate where you're at, what you need to to tweak what you need to work on as well as recruiting. So we'll be seeing the, the coaches all hit the road probably Thursday um, for recruiting trips. 
they'll be hitting the, the road to their respective areas and uh, a lot more coming out on that um, by the end of the week. So um, what else did you, did you take away from the UCLA game? Yeah. An, a, a big thing, maybe kind of a, not as much talked about aspect of Oregon state's really success this season has been the kicking game. I think Atticus Sappington has been fantastic. You know, Here's a kid that comes to Oregon State as a walk-on, sits behind Everett Hayes. Hayes gets hurt. Sappington steps up, but goes five for seven, not super great. And then this year, he's just turned it on. I mean, he's been automatic almost. He's eight for nine. Um, he's hit multiple 40-yard kicks, and his one his kick was just short. Uh, um, I believe it was a 48 or 49-yard kick against San Diego State. Um, and really, we this is one of the biggest question marks going into this season was how's the kicking game going to be in retrospect to 2022 and last year Oregon State converted 55 of their attempts this year eight for nine is fantastic um and it Oregon State they've got some tough games left who knows a game could come down to that and I think at this point Atticus has come has proven himself to the coaching staff as a guy that they can trust yeah 12 points for Atticus Sappington this week against UCLA so huge difference maker um in the final outcome so three field goals Mm-hmm. Um, and four two, like, three, extra, no, three three. extra points. That's right. They went for two yeah, on one. That's right. Two. Uh, so, I saw something on Twitter today too. Atticus leads the Pac-12 in scoring. So just a okay. little interesting stat there. A, a little interesting stat. Um, what surprised you about the performance against UCLA? You know, to an extent, the secondary success. Um, you, with the whole Washington State debacle, there have been question marks, and I thought the secondary – Probably had their best game of the year. Yeah, it does help that Dante Moore is a younger guy, uh, very inexperienced, playing in a hostile environment. And also helping out for the secondary, there was a, a pass rush I thought was fantastic all game long. Five total sacks was really, really great numbers. Uh, but I, th- I think Oregon State's found their five guys um, now that um, Noble Thomas is finally – back up uh, to 100%. I, I feel like their five right now is pretty dang solid. And you're starting to see a little more of Alton Julian, which is um, it's very exciting. You know, he's shown us in the past what kind of player he can be. And if he, and if he can get ramped up all the way to where he was, that's going to just, it's going to really boost our defense up even more. Yeah. And Eric F in the chat, says Jaden Robinson is going to be one of the best DBs ever, and that's saying yeah. a lot. They aren't really throwing the ball his way a whole lot. That's No, they're not. They're not. That's been kind of – I mean, if you look at Jaden's stats compared to some of the other corners, like Tyrese, Jermaud, uh, Noble, and Cooper, like guys that haven't played as much times at corner, he has less tackles, which means he's giving up less catches, and way more PBUs. Yeah, Jaden. Jaden's having himself a year. Um, we haven't heard since we we don't have a media availability. We cannot give any updates right now on Jake Levengood, Corey Stover, uh, John Cooper, Miller, John Miller, Johnson. Um, some guys that did not play or went out. Um, but we should know more next week on those guys. Um, who gets your game ball on offense and defense for UCLA? Yeah, you know, defensively, I think it's Achille Arnold. He's a guy who I he. He started games in his freshman year, retro freshman year, and then he fell behind guys like Atano Dapu, Jaden Grant, even Skylar Thomas, younger guys that came up and passed him. He stuck around. A lot of guys probably would have left. 
He stuck around. He he maybe wouldn't have even started this year if Skylar Thomas didn't get hurt. And now there's an argument to be made that Achille Arnold's an all-conference type player. I mean, he's second on the team in tackles, leads the team in interceptions, and he he's all over the field. Um, yeah. I thought he really had a great game, setting Oregon State up early for success. You know, he dropped the pick. Next play later, comes up with one and takes it back, sets Oregon State up early. Um, and then offensively, this was, this is kind of a tougher one because there's so many guys. But I'm going to give it to a lineman because they don't get a lot of credit. But Tali Fuwaga had himself a game. Tali, uh, I've been I've been s- slowly seeing on Twitter, you know, Tali's draft stocks. His name's starting to jump in the day two and day one talk. And I, I truly think he might be the best offensive lineman in, in the Pac-12. He has just shut guys down all year. Uh, PFF has him graded as their number one offensive tackle in the country. That's insane. Yeah. And I, I want to give a shout out to Tanner Miller too, because yeah, yeah, um, there's another, another guy up there on the line that um, a walk on who just, like you said, moved from guard to tackle or to center and is getting it done too. But um, good, I can't argue with your picks. Um, and then just today it was announced that Tali Huaga um, earned Pac-12 offensive lineman of the week. Cool. Uh, Siona Lilahea is defensive line uh, player of the week. And then Ryan Cooper Jr. is defensive player of the week for Pac-12. So huge accolades because there were some big games this past week mm-hmm. in the Pac-12. Yeah. So, um, and, One and thing some I, big, big go players. Ahead. Go ahead. Nope. One thing I forgot to touch on earlier is uh, just relating to what went well. Oregon State shut down UCLA's top target, uh, J. Michael Sturdivant. He had two catches all game, and yeah. I feel like that kind of speaks to the way that uh, Cooper and Robinson did. They they took UCLA's best wide out and really took him out of the game, and that goes a long way. Yeah, and I think when you look at it, too, it's, it's funny to, to see fans' reactions after the fact or during the game, like in our game thread. But, hey, you have to remember this is a, a top 25 team with a top defense. Mm. But what got me is while the game was never, like, fully put away, I guess, score-wise, it never, ever felt in no. question. Yeah. It, it, it seemed, it, yeah. The first drive set the tone, and Oregon State yeah. seemed in control after that. Um, yeah, huge, huge game. So let's let's transition in the Pac-12 talk then, because um, with Oregon State earning three of the Pac-12 Player of the Week honors, there were some big games, however. So um, we're going to start with a Friday night game. I don't think you saw it. You no, I, were I saw most dad. of it. Okay. Um, Stanford was at Colorado. Colorado was huge favorite. Um, I had to, I left for the airport at halftime to go pick up my son who was coming in for the weekend. Um, and Colorado led 29 to zero on the way home from the airport. I start seeing Twitter blow up and we watched the end of it. Crazy. Stanford pulls out a 46, 43 win. Crazy. (coughs) Crazy talk. Um, Cal, uh, played at Utah. Utah took that one 34-14. Probably the game of the week, at least in the media, was Oregon-Washington. Washington came into that game a three-point favorite. They ended the game as a three-point winner. 33-36, and that one came right down to the very end um, with a with a field goal attempt, right? Yeah. Jake and I were on the sideline at Reeser at that point when that was announced, and they flashed the score up on the scoreboard, and the crowd went kind of crazy. Um, the one that surprised me the most yeah. was Arizona at Washington State, 44 to 6. Did you see that one coming? Not that big. <laughs> Dude, Washington State is like falling off a cliff. Come on, Cougars. 
you gotta you gotta represent the pack too. Um, USC fell to Notre Dame twenty to forty eight, and then the Oregon State uh, UCLA game thirty six twenty four. Okay, this week, this is the the slate. So your bi week viewing pleasure, since you don't have an Oregon State game to watch. Washington State is at Oregon. Twenty point. Oregon is a twenty point favorite. How do you how do you see that game going? Yeah, you know, I th- I think this is going to be an Oregon team that comes out angry. Um, Washington State haven't really seen a whole lot from them offensively. They've scored twenty three points in their last two games. Um, yeah, what happened? How did yeah. Oregon State find them at just like at the the, the wrong time? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, um, you know. Washington State right now might be the most one-dimensional team in the country. They cannot run the ball. Um, and Oregon's secondary is very strong. They might have the best in the Pac-12. And I think it's going to be a long day for Cam Ward and company. And I think Oregon I think Oregon is going to come out angry and they're going to win that game by three to four scores. So let me ask you this. So, you know, Oregon State played Washington State early in the season, mm-hmm. struggled the first half, second half tightened things down. Do you think Oregon State's defensive game plan that second half has given other teams the blueprint on how to defend the Cougs? Yeah, I think that is a possibility. Um, I haven't had, I didn't have the chance to watch the Washington State Arizona game. I don't know exactly what Arizona did defensively, but if you look at what Chip Kelly and company did, there's similar looks to what Trent Bray gave in the second half, um, and it worked well. They shut them down to 17 points. Arizona, whatever they did, it worked well. So I mean, it is a possibility because, I mean, the difference from the first half uh, to the second half of that game was night and day. Um, a team that can really just move the ball at will, throw all over you. Uh, and then the second half, they struggled a lot. Yeah. And I, I think the blueprint was maybe handed to everyone there. Um, port number 14, Utah at number 18, USC. This one surprises me in the point spread. USC is a six and a half point favorite. Yeah. This game's going to be an interesting one. Um, I j- think USC wins and covers, to be honest. I just don't okay. see. Yeah, USC has defensive issues, but Utah's offensive issues are terrible as well. Um, they cannot throw the ball. Um, really, might be the best offense in the Pac-12 against the best defense in the Pac-12, while also one of the worst offenses against the worst defenses. <laughs> um, so I, I, it'll be a very interesting game. I feel like if these two teams were combined, like an SC offense with the Utah defense, then it'd be the best team in the country. But um, – I do think SC wins just having killed Williams. Like, yeah, he struggled against Notre Dame, but I'm confident he's going to bounce back. And I think the Trojans prevail. Okay, that's an interesting question. Okay, so you're Oregon State. Let's just say you have Oregon State's offense. Who do you take as Oregon State's defense? You can't have anyone in the Pac-12 defense. Anyone in the Pac-12? See, I like Oregon State's defense. Just the pass rush that Utah brings. Guys like Jonah Ellis, Junior Tafuna. I think Oregon State has a good defensive line, but Utah's is better, and that's where they have a slight edge. Okay, there you go. Uh, number 25, UCLA is at Stanford. UCLA is a 17-point favorite. And then ASU travels up to Seattle and takes on Washington. The number five-ranked Huskies this yeah. week. Washington is a 28-point favorite. So Oregon State and Arizona on bye. It was announced that the game in two weeks in Tucson will be a 7.30 ESPN kick. Um, Pac-12 After Dark on ESPN. Always scary. <laughs> that is going to be that's going to be one to uh, to watch. Okay, so we have to take a quick break. Um, 
on the podcast side. So if you're watching us live, make sure to put some comments in the in the comment section. We'll try to get to those um, here along with some of our mailbag questions. Uh, and if you're not a member of Beaver Blitz, now is a perfect time to join. We are offering one month for a dollar and you can get all the latest from Jake, from myself. Recruiting is heating up. We're going to talk a little recruiting here. There were, I, I heard to over 200 um, recruiting tickets. So that's family and, and kids. So a lot of recruits. There were a ton of people on the sideline. Including a couple of former beeves with their kids who are being recruited, <laughs> which is wild. Um, so stay tuned to Beaver Blitz or you know check out Beaver Blitz. Join the discussion in the lodge. Always great discussion there. And we'll be back in just a second uh, for the second half of the damn podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the damn podcast. This is bye week, so a little different. We're not going to be previewing any any games this week because Oregon State is sitting this one out. But I wanted to, we're a week late, but I wanted to go position by position and talk with you, Jake, about just kind of the midterm. We're going to call this the midterm grades for the Beavs. Um, and just your thoughts, who, you know, maybe areas where you want to see some growth. And then we're going to look at the remaining schedule. We're going to start right out of the gate with quarterback. The, the one everybody's been watching, you know, give us your bit midterm grades and midterm thought here for DJU and, and Aiden Childs, who's seen yeah. some reps as well. You know, the grade, I would give a B plus. Um, I thought they've done fantastic, but there are still plays that need to be made. There's still games where they make a couple throws. Um, the results are maybe different. I think the Washington state game comes to mind uh, where in the first half, especially really up until that last drive, if DJ doesn't, if DJ doesn't have some of the throws he makes, like the fourth down pass to Martinez, then I think Oregon State maybe wins that ball game. But overall, I think they have been very solid. Um, I really love what the coaching staff is doing, incorporating Childs in uh, the, to what appears to be a new normal, the third drive of every game. Um, I I like that. You know, it's a confidence booster, um, and it 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 also kind of gives fans a glimpse at the future and that they're going to want to stick around because this kid's exciting. You know, he hasn't, if I don't think he's thrown an incompletion in his three drives, um, he's taken a few sacks and a false start, but changing a quarterback, it's a new cadence. Those things will work themselves out. Um, you know, two, three drives and two touchdown passes for an 18 year old quarterback in Pac-12 play has to be considered a success. Um, overall, I, th I think they've have done a, a very solid job. There's room for improvement to push from a B plus to an A minus to an A A minus or an A, but at this point in the season, very solid job. Yeah, and I, I want to Coach Smith actually addressed a little bit of Aiden on Saturday night too, and the fact that you know he they do want to keep bringing him in because he is a rookie. You know, he's a he's a brand new Pac-12 level quarterback. A, you may need him this season at some point. Yeah, but 
Secondly, they want to get him reps. They want to get him comfortable. They want to get the other players comfortable with him too. Um, it just makes sense. This is a guy that has not had any college game reps before this. So um, exciting. He, I, I, he is electric. And watching that game with with um, with Moore, who was like the top, Dante Moore, the top quarterback, I, I looked at that. I think I looked at, I don't know if I looked at you, Jake, or Eric, and I said, I will take a oh, Childs yeah. like every day, 10 times over, over Dante Moore. Not that he's, you know, but I, I just love the moxie that he brings. And I love watching him and DJ on the sideline because DJ is helping to coach him, you know, right in real time. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, here we have a JRU in the comments. He did. He says, I think DJ actually turned the corner in the second half of the Wazoo game. Yeah. And he, I think they've shifted the offense after that. And they've been throwing the ball downfield much more. I think they're kind of playing the game to his strengths, which maybe isn't the, the check downs that, you know, there is a difference. I've noticed that as well. Um, you know, they've been throwing the ball, the out routes a lot more, really extending it down the field rather than short over the middle of the field. Yeah, it's, I, I agree. And, you know, we, we kind of called for some, um, yeah, Eric F. I, and I didn't mean Dante Moore was not going to be good. Dante Moore will be good. He's just isn't ready. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Dante Moore is a younger guy too. Yeah, and, and no disrespect to him, but um, I, I think Beaver fans should just be happy that they have Aiden Childs. If so. it wasn't for Childs, Dante Moore would be the youngest quarterback in the Pac-12. Okay, there you he's, have it. He doesn't turn 19 until May, so he's another okay. young kid. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always rooting for these guys. It's just, um, like I said, I, I think what we've seen, the little, <coughs> the small body work, and it's, it's easy to say in a smaller body of work, um, you know, because you're not getting pressure all the time. And as my, my kid comes home from football practice and talks about getting knocked on his rear end and how horrible it is. Um, running back. This has been a little surprising to me. Have you been surprised by the by the running back production? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like it's still really good. It just doesn't seem like it really is. Um, just because, you know, there's a lack of the big explosive, you know, 50, 60 yard runs. But Damian and Fenwick, they're still consistently getting 10, 11 yards. Uh, they've, it, it's tough to grade it just because if you look at the stats, they've been doing fantastic. But yeah. based off what we've seen in the past, they're kind of missing those big plays. I, I would give this group an A minus. There's still room for the bigger runs. Um, and one thing I've noticed is Deshaun Fenwick starting to not catch, not necessarily overtake Damian, but the gap in carries from game one to now, every game it gets closer and closer and closer in terms of Fenwick catching him, which is yeah, it's just I, been interesting to see. Um, um, sometimes it feels that Damian or uh, Fenwick, Deshaun runs a little harder, maybe, or hits yeah. the hole a little quicker. Um, both are, like you said, very talented backs. How much of that, though, do you think is Damian is not a surprise anymore to teams? That's, and, that's another thing, yeah, is at this point he's a known quantity teams know what he's going to do They're They've been breaking down his film for over a year now, and they're going to try and find his weaknesses and, and really hit those. And I think that's why maybe you haven't seen him hit a hundred yards in three, four weeks now. Um, that's a reason for that, for sure. Doesn't it feel though, like he's just on the verge of breaking one. Yeah. I, I think he is going to, I, I think he's going to have one of those 
monstrous 150 to two, three touchdown games. I mean, if, if you look at his numbers at this point last year, he had what, 300 yards and yeah, he wasn't two starting. touchdowns. Yeah. No. And then as the season pr- progresses, he, he, something, a, a flip just kind of switched and ended up with almost a thousand yards and seven touchdowns. So um, I, I'm expecting touchdown numbers to pick up again. Um, inside the red zone, they have DJ, which kind of, nullifies the need for a running back if you have a 260 pound QB. So okay, well the, the transitioning that into O line and, and Eric at you know says might be a hot take, but I think our run blocking is less consistent this year. So let's move into that O line, but we can still talk about running backs. Do you think the offensive line blocking has not been as consistent as it has been in the past? I do feel like the run game has been a little worse. Um they've been kind of they're still kind of getting guys in spots and there's been movement, you know, there's been guys hurt during games. Starks had to start a game now. Tyler Volton's he's had to play. Um, and I, I do think some of this has to do with the continue, you know, just Oregon State's coaching staff being in place so long teams have years of film on them. They know what they're, what Oregon State's going to try and do, and now they're trying to figure out, you know, the ways to stop it and scheming, whether it's it's plugging guys in different gaps, and it, it throws Oregon State off. Um, I, I still think the, offen- the offensive line has done a fantastic job, especially in the pass blocking. But their pass blocking has been fantastic. They've given up eight sacks in seven games, which are amazing That's numbers. That's an amazing number. So what – okay, so you grade it running backs, A minus, is that correct? Yeah. O line. What are you grading them? I'm going to say I'm going in A minus as well. Um, I think if this is based off what we've seen from past years, it's not necessarily up to par all the way. Um, whereas if you know this was the Oregon State line after years of Gary Anderson era, I would give it an A plus. But um, it, it's they've been solid, but there's room for the there's room for them paving the way for a 300 yard day on the ground. Yes, I, I agree. Who do you, okay. Totally off the cuff here, but out of the schedule, do you, do you think what Stanford, is that the best chance for it? Colorado, Colorado. I was going to say, or Colorado. Colorado. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that in a little or bit. Maybe, maybe even Oregon again. Kind of taking a shot there. Taking your shot right now. Not too sold on their run defense. Okay. Okay, that this is way early. We'll, yeah. we'll have a whole week to talk about uh, <laughs> the, the Oregon and the Civil War game. Okay, so we're going to combine wide receiver and tight end. Uh, you can give me separate grades if you want. Um, but what are your thoughts midterm? What are your midterm grades there, Professor Jake? Um, wide receivers, I'm going to give them a solid B. I thought Anthony Gould and Silas Bolden have done a fantastic job. But outside of those two, not really seen a whole lot. Um no, Josiah Irish and Rahab and Yagi, they've had their moments. Uh, Jeremiah Noga is another guy as well, but really still looking for that third guy to step up. Um, yeah, nothing consistent from the third spot. No, it's been – and even then, like, if there is someone that steps up, it's one game. Like, Jeremiah yeah. Noga has one big game. Josiah Irish has one Irish big has game. Yeah. It's – we – you can't just rely on two receivers, and that's where I'd like to see a third guy step up because especially, like, you know – a bigger body guy because Gould and Bolden are still 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, um, a guy I would like to see the staff get involved more is Jimmy Valson. Um, 
he's playing, um, just not seeing a lot of balls thrown his way, whether it's they want him in on the on more of the running downs just for his size and blocking. But I feel like he's a big athletic kid and he can go up and get those jump balls. Um, I would like to see him start to get incorporated more. And then tight ends, if this was two weeks ago, I would have given them probably a C. Now I'm going to bump it up to a B again, just like the just like the wideouts. I think Jack Felon's um, breakout over the last two weeks have gone has gone very well. Uh, I'd still like to see Jermaine Terry kind of get involved some more in the passing game. Um, so, but- so let me ask you this: the need for a bigger body wide receiver, and I, you know, Jimmy Valsa, we just haven't seen anything from him. So whether that's coaching decision, whether catch. that's yeah. you know, whether that is just him not performing. In practice, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the issue is there. Wide receiver, though, you have two guys in in Terry and Velling who really could kind of be that guy. Do you are you happy if it's not a wide receiver, but it's actually a tight end that can step into that role? Yeah, I mean, it is a possibility. Um, I think they're throwing the ball more out of two and three tight end sets, and they're trying to get Velling mm-hmm. out there. Um, no, to me, it definitely seems like. They have Velling trying to fit the Musgrave role and then Terry trying to fit the Tegan Katoriano role where he's more of a blocker. But Terry's still a very talented pass catcher. I mean, he was a four-star tight end for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the red zone specifically, I thought I thought Jermaine and, and DJ during fall camp had a great connection. And um, maybe after the bye week, the coaching staff tries and gets them more involved or gets that more involved. So that, that's going to be interesting to watch. That's going to be a um, definitely interesting one. Um, okay, we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive line. What What is your hot take there? Yeah, you know, starting off the season, I thought it was fantastic. They shut down every opponent's run games. They were pressing the – they were press, pressuring the passer very well. Mm-hmm. But over the last two weeks – there's been issues. They've had struggles stopping the run. They're still they're still putting pressure on the on the quarterback very well. Overall, I w- I'm going to give this group a B plus. Um, if this was two weeks ago, it would have been an A, quite frankly. But their last performances, there's room for growth for sure. Um, it, it does seem like they're rotating guys a lot more. Um, it seems like they've got that. Seems like every two or three snaps, there's two guys just going off. Whether it's Rawls and Sione, and then Hodgins and Golden come in. And it's interesting to see them try, kind of use that depth. Um, a player who I, I wanted to see more of, but now I'm kind of feeling like it's going to redshirt is Thomas Collins. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping we see him for two more games because he's got two left because the kid's talented. He's, he could be a game changer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Watching these games, Oregon State, while the defensive line has improved greatly, and I think they are well coached, they don't have one of those big physical D tackles necessarily like you see a Utah or a UCLA mm-hmm. have. Yeah. I don't, they don't have a junior Tafuna. Like no, none no. of their three line. I don't, I don't think golden's 300 pounds. He might be, but golden's their closest lineman that really sees consistent playing time to 300 pounds. So they're still a little bit on the smaller side. So what, what's your grade then? Or are uh, you giving two separate, like for a pass? Well, no, you got to combine them pass rush. And and run block run. Defense. I'd give them a B. I'd give the pass rush a B plus, run defense a B minus. Okay, I think I'd be a. That's pretty generous, I think, because I don't know. That's just my thought. Okay, linebackers. 
I I I thought Oregon State linebackers have done fantastic this year, um, especially this, Easton Mascarenas. This might be my highest grade. I'm giving this this group an A um, at this point in the okay. season. You know, they've had guys step up too. It's not just been Calvin Hart. It's been Micaiah Tong before he got hurt. You've seen Helvin Jordan. You've seen a little John Miller. Um, I've I've thought Easton Mascarenas has established himself as arguably the top linebacker in the Pac-12. He leads the Pac-12 in tackles uh, by three right now. He's got 63 total tackles to go with two interceptions as well and a sack. Um, he's really had a monster year, and we've kind of known he's been capable of this. He's just been stuck behind experienced guys and bigger guys, but he's been fantastic. And then the outside linebackers, I think John McCartan and Chatfield and, and Stover as well, they've all done mm-hmm. very well. Um, I mean, you see – Chatfield and John McCartan, they're back in the pocket. What feels like every two or three snaps, they've they've done really a really really solid job um, applying pressure and making quarterbacks uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I that has been, um, and I, I think a lot of people were worried after Oregon State lost Omar and Kyrie. Kyrie. But um, you're right. And in Easton, if you guys remember, those of you guys that have listened for a while. You guys know that last year I was expecting Easton to be the starter. So Kyrie beat him out at the last minute, but um, I've been waiting for, for Easton to get his breakout. Um, so highest grade, you give them an A. Okay. I give them an A. Okay, so Professor Jake. Professor Hedberg, that sounds actually even better. Um, defensive backs, in my opinion, they have exceeded all expectations. Yeah, I think they have exceeded um, every expectation, especially if you take away the Washington State game. I think if you take away the Washington State game, this is another group that's an A. They haven't had really any big time struggles. But with that game happening, I'm gonna knock them down to a B minus. Or sorry, excuse me, not a B minus, to a a plus, a B plus. B plus. Okay, B plus. Um, yeah, not a B minus. I'd say that'd be pretty pretty big drop off. Um I think the I think that they have found their five guys with uh Cooper and Robinson at the corner, Thomas at nickel, and then Katana and uh Achilles at safety. And over the last three games that they've had most of those guys healthy, they've been locked down. Um, you know, you do maybe want to see more interceptions. The Oregon State DBs only have four, I believe. Achilles has two, Jermaud has one, and Cooper has one. But the PBUs are there. There's guys breaking up passes. And at this point, since they've had so many guys banged up, I feel like they have a good level of depth set up too with um, Jermaud McCoy, Tyrese Ivy, Jack Conne, um, just J- J- Josiah Johnson. Mm-hmm. They've got a ton of guys that have played really a lot of football this year. And it, it sets up well f- for the future as well, because you're going to lose Catan and Robinson and Cooper. Um, so I, I think the secondary has exceeded every expectation I have. And to be one of the, I think they're fourth in the Pac-12 in passing defense after losing three starters to the NFL is a really good sign. It is, especially since some of those guys were so veteran. I mean, Alex Austin and, and Jaden Grant had a lot of starts between the two of them. Um, so which group has exceeded your expectations and which group has not? Exceeded expectations, got to go with the secondary. Um, and then in terms of hasn't, just based off what I'd seen from fall camp, I thought this defense line was dominant, dominant. And while they've still been really good in the pass rush, they've struggled stopping the run. So I'm going to go with the defense. Excuse me. I'm gonna go with the defensive line. 
Yeah, it's funny because you and I, before the season started, we were, we were singing switched. the praises. <laughs> yeah, it was totally switched. We were concerned about, you know, the the pass or the, the DBs, and we were just singing the praises of the defensive line. Um, yep. And, and being that they were such a good run defense last year, I think we all just expected that that would continue. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I think that's going to be something that they're looking to shore up in the next, you know, week, uh, bye week. Um, cause it's not going to get easier that it's not going to get sledding or, uh, the, the sledding doesn't get any easier here. So we're going to transition here to the remaining schedule. Oregon state has two road games in a row after the bye week. Uh, they travel to Arizona in Tucson, uh, the end of the month, then they on the road to at Colorado, they come home for two games, Stanford and Washington before final game of the season, regular season at Oregon. Um, oh, somebody here, just a second. Oh, here's a couple more before we Wade O wants to know what is your grade for the Pac-12 referees? Poor. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm gonna say. That is not that was not a, a good look for them. But I mean, it's honestly, what do you expect? I mean, it's not like it's not like they've been lights out for years. It's it's the same, it's the same argument we've heard from multiple teams across the, the conference. So that um that fourth quarter might have been the longest I've ever seen at that stadium. It was it, the it longest was, fourth quarter. It was really long. Um, and then Connor Johnson, welcome, Connor. I know you just kind of popped in late. Why isn't Quincy Wright starting? Uh, Quincy's got a ton of guys in front of him, experienced guys um, who are, you know, more physically ready. I think Quincy has a very bright and promising promising future. Um, you did see him some more in that Cal game when uh, James Rawls was out. Uh I think right now for Quincy, it's more about getting his body physically ready and getting the whole defensive um, playbook down. And I think Quincy will be a big time, big time contributor in 2024. Okay. So we, back to the schedule. In your opinion, what is the toughest test on that remaining schedule? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's tough to go anywhere but Washington just because I think they've established themselves as the top team in the Pac 12. I'm, I'm nervous for it. Arizona as well. I feel like they're a team that Oregon State doesn't necessarily match up well with, um, and that could present issues. You know, both of those teams are, I feel like, offensively very similar. They have a trio of really good wideouts, um, strong tight end play, and quarterback play. Granted, Washington's quarterback play is vastly superior, but what we've seen from Arizona with um, Noah Fafita has been impressive for a redshirt freshman to throw like that um yeah he's not so very I, big either no he's listed at like five, five nine yeah. He, yeah, yeah he's, he's probably like five like, nine five ten yeah so it those two um washington being able to play at reeser is a bonus it's always yeah. a plus so that could be something to keep an eye on but road games in the desert haven't necessarily been kind to rank teams over the past 15 years and it's at night too halloween weekend it'll be it'll be an interesting game for sure Tough yeah, test. that one that's going to be an interesting one i do like washington at home and they play utah the week before so they can nsc or that nsc exactly so that's a that's a tough stretch for them um maybe get a little beat up but they like you said they far and away are the best team in the pac-12 right now um and at oregon at Autzen, last game of the you know the, the last civil war yeah. as, as we know it so um, I, I, that one, you kind of throw everything out the window just because you have two really good teams yeah. and emotions playing. So 
That'll be it's gonna be an one. emotional game. That I, is gonna I be a like hugely emotional one. Tempers are gonna flare. I just I kind of have a feeling for that one. Yeah, like fists are gonna fly. <laughs> I mean, it happened in twenty twenty one. It did. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's gonna be there's gonna be some emotion between that and the Apple Cup. Civil War and Apple Cup could be. Yeah, hostile, um, hostile, very hostile. Is, is the Apple Cup in Pullman or is it in Seattle? I am not sure on that one. I I, I hope know. it's in Pullman. <laughs> if anybody is listening and can. Pop it in the chat. Let us know where the Apple Cup is played this year because I don't have it off the top of my head. Um, okay, let's give me give me your Pac-12 power rankings after week seven. Yeah. At this point, I feel like there's a very clear top three, and the order is, again, pretty clear. I think you have to put Washington at one, only mm-hmm. unbeaten in the Pac-12. Explosive offense, good defense, very strong, very well-coached team. Number two, the Oregon Ducks. Um just came up short uh, against that that team, and they. I feel I feel like they're in that tier right below them. They are mm-hmm. they're a national championship contender. I mean, if they run the the table, they're gonna be in the college football playoff. Then three, I'm going Oregon State. Um, I, I I just feel like Oregon State's one of the more well-rounded teams in the conference. They might not be as flashy as Washington and Oregon. They're gonna be scoring you know 50 points every single week, but they're a team that's solid. They know how to. They know what they want to do. They know how to play for Jonathan Smith. And then after that, I have a, like a second tier. Yeah, uh, yeah. Put USC at four, Utah at five. Even with their horrible defense. Yeah, I just feel like their offense is too explosive. I, again, I I feel like these two teams are a unit away from being yeah. in that top tier. If, top if tier, USC yeah. has a good defense, they're the best team in the Pac-12. If, if they even have a mediocre defense. Yeah, if the they have someone that can stop a nosebleed, they're yeah. arguably the best team in the conference. But they can't. I think Washington is going to blow the brakes off them. Oregon as well. I don't see – I think Oregon State's going to go to a better bowl game than SC and Utah as well. And then after that, at six, I have UCLA, um, seven, Arizona, eight, Washington State, nine, Cal – 10 Colorado, 11 Stanford, 12 Arizona State. Okay. Um, and Liam Teske, thank you. Um, so Apple Cup will be in Seattle, unfortunately. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. So Civil War and Apple Cup are both in the, the trader land. Yeah. Trader land. Okay. Well, um, Connor Johnson says, and Oregon State still has a shot at the CFP too. Yeah. Oregon State yeah. very much does. There's four teams, five teams even. I mean, I think you could make an argument. If Utah runs the table, they could be in the playoff um, between Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and Utah. At heading, heading into week eight of the 2023 season, the Pac-12 probably has the most playoff contenders out of anyone in the country. You know what's interesting, too, is that game, and nobody really talked about this, but the game against UCLA was so big because yeah, whoever lost that game was basically out, better. right? But yeah. they were, like, out, like – if you have two losses and then you, you mm, lost to Utah and Oregon State or Oregon State would have lost to Washington State and UCLA, that second loss yeah. kicked them, kind of kicked them out of contention. Um, huge, huge to come up with that win. Um, and then and then the whole tiebreaker. And UCLA actually had the easiest path because they, yeah. did, they missed Oregon, Oregon or, or Washington. Washington. So um, interesting dynamic there, but glad kind of you, you bumped them out. I mean, I think Oregon State was the toughest team on, that, on their schedule all yeah. year. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's an interesting one, but it's going to be interesting. It's, it kind of is, it's making me think of, it's giving me 2000 vibes. And I don't think Jake was even born then, but 
Nope. Back when Oregon State had the one loss to Washington, Washington yeah. had the one loss to Oregon, Oregon had the one loss to Washington or Oregon State. Um, very kind of triangular there on who's going to kind of walk away with those bragging <laughs> rights. Um, okay, I actually think it's pretty solid. I, I saw that on the Pac-12 network the other night. They were doing their power rankings, and I, I wanted to, to run that by you. How about some mailbag questions? We don't have a ton today, but um, we have a few, and we have a little bit of time. So we're going to jump in here. Let me pull up the lodge. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, there we go. So um, Morrison, 2K17, what are your thoughts on the no calls or bad calls during the game? Yeah, you know, really the big bad calls that came to mind was the blocked punt or the um, the no call, I guess, on the Josh Green yeah. the punter. Um, again, that's a completely defenseless player, a punter of all people, getting his legs taken out, flipped upside down. And they said he was outside the tackle box, but to me it didn't really look like it. Um, and, again, for me that call is kind of a player's safety issue. I feel like for a punter, a kicker, that has to be penalized. And then the other one was the John McCartan um, sack that was turned into a horse collar. Not really sure. Didn't really look like a bad penalty there. Um, those are really the big two I, I, I had that came to mind. Um, overall, I, I thought Oregon State did play a little sloppy, you know, f- f- with others false starts or blocks in the backs. Um, but wasn't a huge gripe, but those two – specifically come to mind yeah yeah i mean it's interesting too because the fans were hot it was loud that it was loud um and they didn't show any replays at research stadium which i thought was a little odd interesting um yeah there was i mean i think everybody can probably have a a play or two that you kind of scratch your head but um yeah it it was an interesting it was an interesting stretch because i thought the first you know two and a half quarters were called pretty clean um, and then it just kind of went off the rails. So I don't, it was, it was kind of bizarre. Um, Corvallis country club wants to know what should be the biggest focus area for improvement during bye week And why is it the D line? Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, yeah. but tackling, I think is a big thing that the coaching staff is going to try and get, um, fixed up over the break and then defensive line that kind of ties into that. There's been times where a defensive lineman kind of, hits a guy you saw this with Carson Steele a lot yesterday or on Saturday and he would bump it outside he'd break a tackle and pick up an extra four to five yards and there's no room for that that needs to be fixed and I think coach Bray is going to have that um down for sure this week um and then Reese B23 and Dever Dever Reese are asking kind of a similar question because they've asked a couple that were already talked about about recruiting and, and recently we do not have a status on love and good. So that was one of your questions and probably many of you guys also wanting to know, we don't know. Um, that was a surprise uh, when we were out um, on the sideline right for the game. So um, recruiting was, went well. Um, it was a busy night. Corvallis was hopping. If you haven't seen on Twitter or X um, Darius Afalava, his dad, Al Afala, he looks just like his dad. It's, it's yeah, kind of crazy. I noticed that. It was weird. It, it was weird. It was like looking at a bigger Al. So um, it was weird. He was, yeah, there were some some big time players on campus. Um, we're working on getting in touch with them and kind of seeing where they're standing. Um, another research we want kind of in that same vein is what will keep the bulk of our commitments? Um, what do they need to feel good about OSU in the future? 
I feel like I think, all the guys right now are locked in based yeah, on conversations I, we've had and rumblings we've heard. Um, you know, I, I feel like the culture of this program and, you know, what the coaching staff is selling, these kids are really buying it. And um, I don't see it really affecting Oregon State's long-term recruiting, yeah. at least this year. Yeah, and, and a lot depends. There is still some uncertainty, um, and we probably won't even have any more clarity even until – later in November when that the hearing <coughs> is supposed to take place um, with the, with the pack 10 versus the pack two. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one, but the culture, and, and I, I mentioned this on, on X too, after the game, and you know, we can talk all about coaching and, and the job that the coaches do on the field. But I, I think one of the biggest feathers in their cap is really the culture they've built. And um, some of the best recruiters on the, on this team are not the coaches. It's the, no. the current players. And so to have those guys having fun, liking each other, like I said, just watch some of those post-practice or post-game videos that we do. You can just tell they like each other and they laugh and they joke. And um, it's, it's a very, very strong culture. Anything else, Jake? No. Anything else? Okay. Well, it's bye week. So Beaver Blitz will be doing several recap pieces throughout the week. We're going to be breaking down again. Jake will be doing position by position breakdowns, a little more in depth. We have, and that's coming where Peter and Raju um, go head to head and um, some recruiting updates as well. So it'll be still a busy week at Beaver Blitz, lots in the lodge going on. And Jake and I will be back. We're going to be back next week, Jake. Are we taking next week? Might have to. I'm not doing week. next week. Okay. No, no next Preview week. The game. Preview the game the week that was. Yes. Absolutely. So a short podcast, is that what you're telling me? Yeah, probably a shorter one. Okay. Yeah. Shorter damn podcast next week because we won't have a, a recap from the game before. Um, so we'll be back next Monday, same time, same place for another episode of the damn podcast. Mm-hmm.